morning, everyone. Right, this question is going to be kind of uh, redundant here, seeing as you have your papers already in front of you. But still, I wanted to start off this morning by asking you a question. For those of us who have kind of grown up in the assemblies, and for those that have been in the assemblies long enough, right? if I were to ask you what is a um, portion in Acts, verse 42, that we follow wholeheartedly as far as a New Testament pattern, and I think most of you would say what chapter? Chapter 2. That's right, James. All right? And so my entire life, right, growing up, right, that's our staple verse. That's the verse that we follow. They continued steadfastly, right, in the breaking of bread and in doctrine and in fellowship and in prayer. And that's why we do what we do. Uh, but I'd like to add another Acts 42 to your list this morning. And that would be Acts chapter 5, verse 42 as far as a New Testament pattern that we should be following daily. So if you're turning your Bibles, please, to Acts chapter 5. And quite frankly, I will say that in my experience, and it's just in my experience, in my insignificant opinion, is that we do a pretty good job with Acts 2.42 and following that pattern. But when it comes to this pattern... I don't know if we do so well. Now you remember the story here in Acts chapter 5. The apostles here are preaching Jesus Christ. They are arrested. And they're considering whether or not to kill them, right? And Gamaliel brings before the other men and says, listen. I got an idea. Remember we had this one guy one time, I think his name was Theodos. Remember, he, he was talking about, he was a follower of something, and guess what? Nothing came of it. It died out. Right? Then you had this other guy, Judas. Remember, he was big stir amongst the people, and guess what? Is it going on today? No. So he says, listen, these guys, these apostles are talking about Jesus Christ. If it's really of God, then nothing we can do can stop it, right? And if it's not of God, it'll just by like these other two guys, it'll what? It'll fizzle out, right? And so this is where we're at here in Acts uh, chapter 5. And so it says, they agreed with him in verse 40. Acts chapter 5, verse 40. They agreed with uh, Gamaliel here. And when they had called for the apostles, and of course they beat them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. And so they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. The Lord will bless the reading of his word again this morning. Let's pray. Our Father, this morning we thank you for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We're thankful for um, this pattern that you have in your word, of the apostles in the early church there. I pray that we may be able to apply this pattern to our own lives. Lord, that there would be numbers added to your church daily. We pray this, that you would be honored and glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. So we want to look at eight points here in this one verse. Eight points in Acts chapter 5. 
verse 42, and in your handout you'll see uh, what words the points come from. And uh, when I was putting this together, I know some of you have shared with me that you enjoy getting a handout, um, you know, especially when the speaker is not so um, charismatic and not so exciting, you know, it helps you from falling asleep, keeps you paying attention and things like that. Um, but what I've also learned now is now that I put some, some P's in there, there are some of you that are trying to figure out what those are before I even give them to you. And so there's a little more added entertainment for you uh, this morning. The over-under right now is four. That means uh, those of you that are trying that right now, that you don't, you, the, the thought is that you're not going to get more than four right. But we'll see. Okay? Uh, James thinks he's got all of them down already here, but we'll see. Uh, the first thing I want you to notice here, as far as this New Testament pattern with the apostles here, and you'll see right there, it says, after they were, of course, beaten, they were threatened, right? Uh, it says that daily, daily. And so, again, what we're going to try to look at is this New Testament pattern for evangelism. Okay? One of the things with evangelism is you're not going to really find that word evangelism in the Bible. We see the word evangelist, and certainly it's mentioned uh, in the gifts, right? You have the gift of pastor and teacher and evangelist. You also have Paul exhorting Timothy where he says, listen, do not... Um, do the work of an evangelist, right? But you're going to see through uh, Scripture and certainly in this text here that that was the pattern, right, uh, of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And one of the things you'll see here, the apostles, after they're in prison, after they're beaten, after they're threatened, it says that they daily, daily. So the first evangelism that's very important for us is perpetual evangelism. Perpetual. I feel like sometimes in my own life, I will share the good news with someone and I'll feel like I've met my quota for the week. Or I've met my quota for the month. Um, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but I've experienced this and it, it's my own shame is that I'll hear people talking about how they share the good news with someone somewhere and I'll be in my mind going, yeah, I want to I share with them what I did. And I'm trying to think back. I'm like, man, it's been a while. The pattern here was that daily, it was a perpetual Evangelism. It was every day. Every day. In fact, if you read uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 47, it says, And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Now, how can the Lord add to the church daily if people aren't evangelizing daily? <laughs> right? And you might say, well, John, probably today the church universal, probably God's adding to it daily, and I hope so. That'd be great. But how cool would it be too, right, in each of our own local expressions of that body of Christ, right, in either place that we gather, that we could say that the church is added to daily. Daily. In Acts chapter 16, verse 5, it says, So the churches increased in number daily. Paul here in Colossians, he, he's asking the, the church of Colossae to pray for him. And, and he actually asks them to pray for him with this evangelizing. And one of the things that he prays for, uh, asks them to pray for is that he would redeem the time. That he would redeem the time. You'll see this in your uh, notes there. I think this is so important. Is that we can never lose sight of the urgency of the task. May we never lose sight of that. See, the apostles here, they set this pattern for us that they never lost sight of that. They understood the urgency of the task is that they had to daily, daily proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Not just 
whenever you get a chance. Not once a week, once a month, once a year. Daily they were telling people what Jesus had done for them. It was a perpetual evangelism. It was a daily thing. And God was adding to the church daily. Man, could God say that today? Is God adding to the church daily? In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, it says this, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. You know, prophetic saying that was fulfilled right at Christ's resurrection. When Christ rose from the dead, it entered into this time that the prophet was talking about. We are living in that time, brothers and sisters. We are living in the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. Daily, they were telling. Turn with me just quickly to John chapter 4. Keep your finger there in Acts. Remember the woman at the well here. We've got a lot of changes going on here. You'll notice that after she meets Jesus, she leaves the water pitcher behind, doesn't she? So there you see a change in priorities. Right? A little later on, we, we read that um, the Lord Jesus changes her philosophy. Right? He who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life and so on. But here what you see in this woman's life is a, a change in perspective. And this is what we need to have too. In verse 35... And the Lord Jesus says, do not say, hey, there's still four months, and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. We've got to stop thinking that, hey, listen, I've got time. I've, I've got time to share with my coworker. I've got time to share with my family member. I've got time to share with whoever else is in your life. Jesus is telling you this morning, listen, lift up your heads. Look, the fields are already white for harvest. It's not four months from now. It's today. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. So we see here a perpetual evangelism. But not only that, in Acts chapter 5 here, we see, I'm going to skip a couple words and get to word they here. It says that they did not cease, Right? Here we see a participatory evangelism. Okay? Every believer has to do this. Notice here it didn't say that it was just Peter right, evangelizing. It wasn't just John. It was all of them. All of them were doing this together. They did not cease. You see, salvation comes, right, through God's amazing grace. That should make Christians... Of all people, okay, not only the most humble, but on your sheet there, the most motivated to share that grace with others. Every single one of us should participate in this. This is not something that, oh, the evangelist should do. This is not something that the elders should do. This is not something that someone who's known the Lord for a long time should do. Every single believer in Jesus Christ is a participant in evangelism. Amen? Every one of us. When you consider God's amazing grace in your life, that should motivate you to share that grace of God with others. 
Let me give you five compelling reasons, and there's certainly way more. Five compelling reasons why you and I should participate in evangelism. One, and we looked at this this morning, Jesus took the initiative to come to you, didn't he? Can you imagine if, if Jesus never came? Right? God sent Jesus. Jesus came to us. That alone should be initiative enough for us to do the same. But not only that, he says that Jesus commanded us to go and take the gospel to all peoples. Right? We read that in Mark chapter 16, verse 15. and John chapter 20, verse 21, he says, As the Father has sent me, what? I send you. <laughs> Not some, right? Not just a select few. He sends you. Look at the example, right? And this is what we're looking at this morning. But there's the example of the apostles of the early church, right? Philip going to Samaria, right? Peter going to the Gentiles, initially Cornelius' house, right? You've got all of Paul's missionary journeys. That's pretty compelling too. What's even more compelling is this. In Romans chapter 10, it says people cannot and will not hear unless we go to them. You recall, right, in your own journey, um, in your own salvation, right, there was a point in your life, whether you were five years old, whether you were 20-something years old or even older, right, you remember there was a time in your life, the Bible says this in Ephesians chapter 1, that in Him you trusted. After what, though? It says, in him you trusted after you heard the word of truth. Right? We know the verse, right? Faith comes by hearing. There was a point in each one of our lives that we heard the word of truth. See, Romans chapter 10 says this. Think about that time in your life where you called upon the name of the Lord. That moment, that moment that you called upon the name of the Lord, you got saved. Salvation came to you. Romans says this, you would have never called out to him if you had never believed in the one who was sent to you. How can someone call upon the name of the Lord if they, if they don't believe in him? But you know what? You wouldn't have even believed in him if you had never heard. That's what Romans says. And Romans says, you know what? And you would have never even heard of Jesus Christ if someone did not preach it to you. And last he says, you know what? You would never even have heard Jesus preach to you if someone wasn't sent. Every single one of us here have enjoyed salvation because someone was willing to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Every single one of us here. It's not, not motivating enough for you to share it with others. If someone did not share it, you would be lost and on your way to hell right now. But thank God someone was willing to go and to preach it and you heard it and you believed and you called upon the name of the Lord. And you got saved. 
This is a participatory evangelism. It's not just for a select few. Every single one of us is a part of this. But not only that, we see that daily, they, in the temple, in the temple, this one you may not have got, I don't know. I put down here for this, this is public evangelism. Temple was kind of like the, you know, the, the place to be. That's where everybody would go, right? But they were there in the temple, um, teaching and preaching Jesus Christ. And my fifth reason for why we should all participate in this, I kind of put into this group here, is that there are those who are ready and want to know. Okay? There are some who are actually ready and they want to know. All you have to be, uh, do is be willing to be used. That's it. We talked already, remember about Philip, right? God sent him to this place and was Philip willing to go? He was willing to go. He sees this guy. The guy's reading from the Scriptures. He approaches the guy and says, Listen, do you know what you're reading? And what does the guy say? How can I if nobody explains it to me? Right? He was ready. He was ready. Philip takes a few seconds to explain because the guy's like, Who are they talking about here? They're talking about Jesus Christ. The guy gets saved. Maybe some of you have experienced that in your own, in your own experience. Right? You go up to someone. You're a little hesitant. And you go to share Jesus Christ, and they say, oh man, I was just praying that someone would come to me and share that with me. I was just asking God, God, if you're real, make yourself known to me. And you just came up. That's a great reason, too, why we should. But then here they are in the temple. And, and so listen, evangelism, right, cannot simply happen on our own terms. We must be willing to be led by the Spirit, and this is on your sheet here, in both word and circumstance. I'm going to say this again. We cannot simply evangelize on our own terms. We do that, right? That's what we do. Like I said, I'll share the gospel, I'll tell you, but it's going to be on my terms. Lord, I feel like you're, you're leading me to, to share the gospel with that, that person over there. Or there's times where something comes into your life, you're like, oh, shoot. Man, God wants me to share with these people, but this, this is not on my own terms right here. I'm, I'm not comfortable with this right now. That's public evangelism. Every day you're out in the workplace, you're out the store, you're at different places. You better be ready. As the Spirit leads you in word and circumstance, you have to be ready for public evangelism. It most likely will be someone you've never seen before, never heard uh, from them before. But you're going to have to do it. You see, um, in, in my own experience, I, I've experienced this a couple of times. Um, one of them was absolutely terrifying. Was uh, Jack Spender actually called me once and said, hey, listen, there's, um, I, I was asked to do a funeral down by you, down by the Brantford Yacht Club or something like that. And I can't do it now, so I told these people that you would do it. Jack, what would you say? So... Believe it or not, my, my first response was not yes. <laughs> I said, Jack, you know, I'm going to have to pray about this. You know, I'll call you back. You know, and so, of course, I'm sitting there with my family, and I'm talking about this, and they're like, yeah, you should do it. I'm like, I don't want to do it. <laughs> right? 
But God gave me an opportunity, right? Stand there in a Brantford Yacht Club with people I've never met before. And here's a picture of this guy who had just died. Don't know who he is. I don't know where he's at. Okay? But you know what I did? I shared the gospel. And I shared the gospel in such a way that I was for certain they were going to escort me out of there. It was one of those, I was like, oh man, as I got done, I was waiting for them to, and you know how they are. Oh, that was just beautiful. Thank you. Oh, maybe for some it fell on deaf ears. But who knows? Maybe some it didn't. Right? But we have to be ready in word and in circumstance, whatever it is. I know um, my father, <laughs> we, we have uh, get-togethers once or twice a year, and many in my, um, my mom's side of the family are not saved. Um, but we're a very close family, and we get together usually for Christmas or um, other times of the year. But usually, you know, Christmas time. And I always notice about my dad is that we will always give thanks for the food, right? But dad never missed an opportunity to share the gospel in his prayer. <laughs> you ever have people like that? Right? Like, thank you for this food, and we thank you for your son, and blah, 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 blah. And he just goes through the whole gospel. You know, I'm thinking, all right, all right. Listen, you don't know what kind of opportunities you're going to have. And see, the myth is this, and I bought into this myth my whole life. The, the myth is this, is that I can't share Christ with someone unless I have a relationship with them. Right? That, listen, you know what, let someone else who, who knows them, you know, knows them they can come in and, and they can share with them. Right? I, I can't share Christ with someone who I don't have a relationship with. And so, uh, let me try to illustrate uh, how bad a myth that is. Uh, you are walking... <laughs> And uh, you come to a house, and there's a fire in the house, and someone is trapped up on the second floor, third floor, and there's a ladder right there on the ground. Nice extension ladder, right? Now, you're not going to say to yourself, hey, listen, ma'am, sir, I'm sorry, I don't really know you. Um, you know what, maybe if we could establish a better relationship, uh, I could come back and save you at that time. We don't say that. Like, if I'm in a boat, right? And I have a life preserver, and there's a gentleman drowning. I don't say, sir, I, listen, I'd love to save you, but I don't know who you are. You know what? I mean, see if someone who knows you a little better, they can save you. We wouldn't do that, right? And yet we, we buy this myth all the time saying, listen, I, I can't share the gospel with them. I don't know them. Right? And so we cannot bind this myth that we have to have a relationship with them. Again, Paul, in that prayer in Colossians, when it comes to evangelism, Two things he prays for that I think that's related to this is, one, he always prays for an open door. And we should be praying for that all the time. Hey, when we're out in public, right, pray that God would open a door so that it's easy. Right? There are times when, uh, I remember Pablo was here, Pablo Senepal Torres from Peru, and that was one of the messages he gave. He listen, he goes, I pray every day that God would provide an opportunity. He would open the door. And so, you know, it is when you hear that message, you go, I'm going to start praying that. Right? And it was a, it's amazing that when you pray that, what God provides for you. And I still remember sitting at a, a, a lunch table at school, and uh, I'm sitting there with my fifth graders, and I had prayed this prayer that morning, and my student literally just looked at me and said, Mr. Clipper, what do you believe in? I thought, oh man, I prayed for this. <laughs> I didn't think it was going to be my nine-year-old, ten-year-old in here, but you know what? I just felt like God answered my prayer. And I was able to share with my students what Mr. Clipper believes in. And I didn't get fired. Okay? All right? But Paul says, listen, pray for an open door. Not only that, this is very important too, uh, he says, walk in wisdom towards those who are outside. I think we've got to be praying for that too, right? Um, 
You've you got to know who your audience is. Right? You've got to know who it is that God brings into your life and so that you can walk with wisdom there with these people on the outside. Right? And we're going to get this later. Paul always talks about being able to communicate clearly right? Uh, the gospel. And so we have this, I call public evangelism, right? There are times that we just have to be sensitive to the Spirit's leading in word or circumstance, whatever it is in our lives. Okay? But not only that, you'll see that uh, daily, they in the temple and in every house, in every house. I call this personal evangelism. Personal evangelism. Now listen, like I said, we don't want to buy into the myth that I can't share Christ with someone who I don't have a personal relationship with. But at the same time, we all know that that's very effective, isn't it? It's extremely effective. I've had more opportunities to share Christ with people who I have a relationship with than I have the other way around. There's some trust built up there, right? They've seen you, right? They've seen, you know what? He talks about Jesus, and you know what? Um, It seems like Jesus works for him. Um, And so there's, there's some conversation there. But I think the most passionate... And effective evangelism, right? So this is the most passionate and effective evangelism comes from those who have experienced the gospel. You hear what I'm saying? Listen, if the gospel's not personal for you, then forget about it. Someone's got to see that Jesus means something to you. They want to see that you experience the gospel. That you just don't talk about it. Right? That it's part of your life, that you experience it each and every day. Moses and Marilette, you know, they, um, they work with crew. And I'm always fascinated with what crew does down in New York City. Um, evangelizing to all types in the inner city of uh, New York. But one of the things they put on there was very interesting. It says, they say 95%. Now again, they, they do door-to-door. They do street corner, open-air evangelism. They do a lot of things, but they say 95% of the initiative we want to be doing on campus and the rest of our lives will involve more relational connection with people. That's what they want. They want to be able to establish that relational connection with people. Right? How, how is your relational connection? Right? When's the last time you had your neighbor over your house? When, when's the last time that you, know, um, you sat down and you talked with your colleagues or your co-workers, whoever it is? Right? That you have a relationship with them. That they don't see you as some person that doesn't care about them. Again, uh, Paul in Colossians, one of his prayers is this. He says, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt. Right? You see, and this should be, I think, on your, on your paper here. People should be seeing the difference in our lives, and that should make them thirsty for what we have. Right? That comes from that personal, relational connection there. Right? They should see something in you. Say, wow, man, I want that. Right? I want that. In fact, I was trying to look up evangelism, you know, the definition of it. And certainly, you know, it, it means to, to bring the good news and things like that. But one gentleman defined it this way. I love it. He says, evangelism is teaching the gospel with the aim to persuade. That's the goal. Right? You're going to teach the gospel, but... The goal is to persuade men, to persuade women right, with the gospel. That they're thirsty for it. Right? They see what you have and they want it too. And even as we thought of this, I was just curious about this. You know, here they were, these apostles, right? Um, in the temple and in every house, it says. Right? 
in every house. I'm just curious by show of hands, how many of you got saved in a house? A lot of us. Isn't that interesting? Right? Usually the majority of people, right, we don't get saved at a crusade or in a chapel. I mean, some people do. Right? Most of us got saved in someone's house or in our own house, didn't we? Right? It's interesting. Right? There's something there about being in someone's house, right? hearing a Bible study, hearing someone talk about Jesus Christ, and giving your life to the Lord. And so there has to be that personal evangelism as well. But here's another one here. It says that daily, they in the temple and in every house did not cease. They didn't cease. That's persistent evangelism. Persistent evangelism. You see, godly evangelism frequently involves making ourselves and others uncomfortable. Guys, that's the reality of it. Godly evangelism. Godly evangelism is, listen, many times it's going to make you feel uncomfortable, and it very well could make the other people feel uncomfortable. But we have to be persistent. You know, uh, in Romans chapter 10, we, we talked about this already, where it talked about, listen, you know, how can you call if you don't believe? How can you believe if you didn't hear? How can you hear if someone didn't preach it to you? And how can someone preach to you unless they're sent? Well, it goes on to, to quote Isaiah. Remember, Isaiah was one that God was going to send, right? Isaiah says, here am I, send me. But the interesting thing about that, when you look at even Romans, Romans reiterates this, is that Isaiah knew that some would not receive it. God knew it. Interesting. interesting. Right? Listen, God is not sending you out to evangelize thinking that everyone's going to receive it. He knows some or most will not receive it. Even in Isaiah's time. Not everyone will believe. Not everyone. Now listen, there's two responses to that, right? Knowing that some will not believe should break our hearts. And when you consider the amazing grace of God in your own life and to think that, you know what, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to tell someone, and you know what, there's a good chance they're not going to believe. That should break our hearts. At the same time, encouragement comes when we realize that we can't force someone into his choice or her choice. huh? Right? It's theirs to accept or reject. See, that's the great thing about evangelism. You don't have to make the choice for them. All you have to do is go to them. That's it. There's great encouragement in that. You can say, hey, listen, here's what Jesus Christ did for me. Do you want to believe in Jesus Christ? And they say, no. That's on them. Right? There's great encouragement in that. I mean, it breaks our hearts to think that why would someone not receive Jesus Christ? But there is encouragement in knowing that, listen, we cannot force someone. God doesn't force anybody. Right? It's their choice to make. They can either accept it or reject it. The second thing on your sheet there uh, for persistent evangelism is this. Obstacles are opportunities. Obstacles are opportunities. Right? When you consider Paul and you think about all the people that he evangelized to as a result of something that wasn't his plan. Obstacles along the way. They... Um, imprisoned him. They conspired to kill him. And all these things led him, right, to different people along the way that provided opportunities for him. Eventually, he ended up going to Rome, right? All because there were obstacles along the way. 
Listen, obstacles can be opportunities. I was so encouraged. I was just listening to someone's testimony the other day, and they were sharing how they, God used this anyway, someone was sharing the gospel with someone else, and they overheard it. Isn't that awesome? So you could be sharing the gospel with someone, and there's an obstacle, right? They don't believe, but you had no idea who was listening. Right? That's pretty cool. Another compelling reason why we should just tell people. But they are persistent. They did not cease, right? And here again, the context, right? They're imprisoned, right? They're uh, beaten. They're threatened. They didn't stop, right? How often do we think of obstacles, right? As saying, oh, listen, that means I shouldn't share the gospel here. They did not cease. Persistent evangelism. And it says here that uh, daily they in the temple and in every house did not cease teaching. This is the, the tough one. John already looked up how to pronounce it. So this is the pedagogical evangelism. Okay, pedagogical. You all know about pedagogy. Come on. Okay. So it has to do with education, right? Education. Teaching with the gospel is very important. It says here they did not cease teaching. And in fact, in Ephesians chapter 3, Verses 1 through 13, Paul gives us two tremendous incentives for evangelizing. Two tremendous incentives. We don't have time to go there and read it, but he says this. One of the incentives is is he realized that God had revealed to him truth that he wanted to tell people. You see, this mystery of the gospel, right? Was it available to David, Abraham, Isaac? No. It was a mystery, it was kept hidden. In ages past. And Paul realized, wow, God chose to reveal it to me. And I became a minister of the gospel. What an incentive. He's like, now I want to go out and I want to teach the truth of God. I want to teach them what is the gospel. It's a tremendous incentive to be able to teach God's truth. I thought of this, right? If men today cannot keep their scientific discoveries to themselves... How much less should we keep our, to ourselves the truth about God? How often do you read and hear every day new scientific discoveries and all these things that men want to let the world know? Shame on us that we don't want to let people know about the truth of God. It's much more exciting and it's true. But we have the tremendous opportunity to teach the truth of God. Right? We did the truth project. And we talked about, Jesus says, For this reason I came to this earth to bear witness to the truth. To the truth. That's what the world needs today. So when you're out there evangelizing, you're, you're teaching what is true. The world is here lies all the time. We have a tremendous opportunity to teach the truth about God. Think about Jesus, right? Jesus and his example for us, right? Jesus, while he was here on earth, constantly spoke using parables. Right? Common, everyday examples that illustrated spiritual truths. Right? Jesus was keenly aware of things around him and he used them naturally as part of his conversation. That's what we have to do. Right? That's what we heard from Rob Dewberry. Right? We, we have to become gospel literate. You've got to be able to use the things around you to teach people about God. We can do that. Right? Jesus is an example for us. But it has to be that pedagogical evangelism where we are educating people, 
teaching people about God and what is true. Again, in Paul's prayer uh, in Colossians, one of the things he prays is that um, for them is that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Right? That's important. Okay? Even as a teacher in my own classroom, we talk about differentiated learning. Right? You have to know your students and you, know how, you have to know how to answer each one. Some students, the expectation is different than others. Okay? Some can handle certain content, some can't. Right? But it's differentiated. It's the same thing with us. As we teach the truth of God, we need, need to know how to answer each one that God puts in our lives. It's also interesting when the Great Commission, right? He says, go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. What? Teaching. Teaching them. That's part of the commission. Not only are we going to make disciples, not only are we going to preach the gospel, we are to be teaching them to obey or observe all the things that Jesus commanded. That's our commission, guys. That's part of the gospel. But not only were they daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching, but also preaching. Right? Preaching. Jesus the Christ. This is the proclamation evangelism. Okay? Um, preach, of course, means to announce good news. That's what it means. Um, Peter even tells us, right, in his letter that we need to always be ready to give a defense, right, not for our religious doxology, not for our religious denomination, but we are always to be ready to give a defense for our hope. For our hope. That's what we proclaim, right? In fact, the other uh, incentive here that Paul gives in Ephesians chapter 1, he says, not only was he motivated to share the gospel because God had revealed truth to him, right? And God has revealed it to you, amen? Yes, he's revealed it to you. But he says this, he goes, the other incentive is that I get to tell men about God's riches. That's what motivated him. He said that I get to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. Because a lot of times, right, we, we feel like when we go to this world, now certainly there's judgment, right, that, that needs to be part of our message. But we, we feel like, sometimes I feel like we, we make the world, make the gospel sound like this whole drum, like burden type, type thing. When we go to tell people about the gospel, we need to tell them about the riches of Christ. All the things that they get to enjoy because of the cross. Right? All the riches. And Paul said that. He goes, man, I cannot wait to tell you about the unsearchable riches of Christ. What riches are freely available to the world today because of the cross? Let me share some. Resurrection from death. Right? Uh, the death of sin. That's pretty cool, right? <laughs> you get to enjoy resurrection from the death of sin. Right? You've been made alive. Not only that, but your body will be raised one day as well. That's amazing, uh, Rich. Um, how about victorious enthronement with Christ in the heavenlies? You know you're seated in the heavenlies right now with Christ? That's pretty awesome. How about reconciliation with God? <laughs> you've been reconciled with God. And now we've been given, right, the ministry of reconciliation. We should be telling other people, hey, you can be reconciled to God. Right now, you're an enemy with God, right? On your way to hell. But there's a way that you can be reconciled. Now, how about this? Incorporation 
with Jewish believers in God's church. God's own special people, the Jews. God chose them for himself. And now, Jewish believers and Gentiles, all of us together, we can be incorporated into one new society now. God's church. That's amazing. How about the end of hostility and the beginning of peace? You don't think the world wants to hear that? That they can actually have peace? There's no more hostility. How about access to the Father through Christ? By the Spirit. You don't consider that riches? <laughs> you have access to God Almighty. How about membership of His kingdom and His household? How about being an integral part of His dwelling place among men today? You realize that? God chooses to dwell in you. Among men today, God's dwelling place is in believers. That's, that's crazy. But even all these riches, and we could certainly list a whole lot more, right? Even all these riches are just a foretaste of the riches to come. They're just a foretaste. When we consider the riches of the glory of the inheritance that's to come. <laughs> Guys, this is just a foretaste. And you can tell the world, listen, <laughs> there's tremendous riches for mankind. Through Jesus Christ. It's a proclamation of evangelism, guys. We have a tremendous opportunity to preach the gospel. To proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to the world. You see, once we are sure that the gospel is both truth from God and riches for mankind, nobody will be able to silence us. Nobody. And I really think that the church will have a renewed evangelistic zeal. But you have to be convinced. You have to be convinced that what you have is truth from God and it is riches for mankind. Lastly, they did not cease daily in the temple, in every house, teaching and preaching that Jesus was the Christ. This is proper evangelism. You see, preaching the gospel is not about intellectual superiority. It's about Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's what it is. You see, Paul, despite the fact that he was an extremely learned man, his method of evangelism was one of weakness, fear, and much trembling. Not persuasive words. <laughs> That's not how he shared the gospel. You see, every act of evangelism is meant to be a demonstration of the Spirit's power, not our own eloquence. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we're all aware of this. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I believe, verse 13, Paul says this. He says, Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Verse 23 says, But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews a stumbling block, to the Greeks foolishness. And in chapter 2, verse 2, he says, For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. See, brothers and sisters, listen, we preach Christ only. That's it. That's what we preach. We preach Christ only. We never 
mix up anything else in the gospel. Every time we preach, we must still have the same old theme. Jesus Christ and him crucified. You see, Jesus Christ is the alpha of the gospel. He's the omega of the gospel. He's the first letter. He's the last letter. He's all the letters in between. Okay? Jesus Christ is the gospel. It must be Christ from beginning to the end. There must be no doing works or anything else mixed up with Christ. There must be no shoddy materials used as we build on Christ, that one foundation that was laid once for all. Brothers and sisters, listen, I think we could be doing a better job here. It's not that you don't love Jesus Christ. I know we love him. Sometimes we just need a reminder, right? You remind it, listen, we are now ministers of reconciliation. I'll close one more verse here. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 37, 38, he says this to his disciples. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Lift up your heads, brothers and sisters. Listen, the field's already white. You have no idea this week As you approach someone and say, listen, can I talk to you about Jesus Christ? They may be ready. They may want to know. And you know what? If they don't, obstacles can provide opportunities. You never know. You never know. But man, wouldn't it be great to see new believers come through these doors? Not even through these doors. I mean, it would be great just to be added to the church. (laughs) Added to the church. But what what an encouragement, what a blessing it is to see new life. Right? Sometimes we get stuck in a rut. We become complacent. And so hopefully, as we look at this New Testament pattern here for evangelism, that we can apply this uh, to our lives, right? And that we can pray. Pray that God would show you how you can put this into action. Today, this week, in your own personal lives, how can we put this into action? You know, let's talk with each other about, hey, listen, I had a great opportunity this week to talk to someone about Jesus Christ. Let me tell you how it went. Man, it went awful, you know? I mean, they yelled at me, they, whatever, I'm like, oh, man, yeah, me too, you know, okay? or man, you want to believe this, the person actually got on their knees and they prayed with me, they accepted Jesus Christ, who knows God, guys, what God has available for each of us, all we have to do is just go, that's all we got to do, just be willing to go, remember, you yourself would not be saved today, would not be saved if someone didn't preach it, okay, let's pray. Father, I I certainly feel I have no right to give this message this morning, but I just feel that you laid it in my heart to give it. Lord, forgive me for um, so many times not um, fulfilling my responsibility to be a minister of reconciliation. Lord, we know there are so many out there who are lost. Um, Lord God, I pray that we might be able to show them uh, the truth about God and we might be able to show them riches for mankind. Um, Lord God, uh, certainly when we consider your grace towards each and every one of us, um, we Christians, um, of all people, uh, should be most humble, but also most motivated to share that amazing grace with others. And so we certainly um, pray for your help. Um, We pray that we would not uh, do this uh, in and of our own strength, Uh, that we would be uh, led by your Spirit, that we would be controlled by your Spirit, that we'd be empowered by your Spirit, um, so that many uh, would be added to your church. We pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen.